In today's podcast, we have an opportunity to speak to two soldiers. Uh, first one is Seto Kone. Um, we had an opportunity from the Gush Etzion area. Second one is um, my Madrich from the South region, uh, which is a surprise, actually. Um, and I didn't get to speak to him for a long time. So today we get to speak to two soldiers, which is amazing, um, in one podcast. So hope you enjoy. And we're going to get a, a great, great glimpse of their October 7th story. Um, and how it is and how crazy it was and it's been Amazing. We're trying to send a message of of uh, the Am Israel, basically. Wow. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoy. Hey. Um, hey, how are you? hey, what's up? Um, how are you doing? I got how you doing. Can you hear me? Yeah, I could hear you. Okay, fantastic. Great to hear. Uh, so with us right now is a soldier that I know, commander actually. Um, we are, we've been speaking to many soldiers um, for the last few months um, about the war. Right now it's day 100. Um, and it's amazing how we have Israel at our heart. Um, and and we've been speaking about, we're trying to send a message to everyone about October 7th and sending love to Israel. Um, with us right now is Commander Sar- Seto Kohn. Um, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Ari. Great to be here. Thank you so I, much for having me on. I understand you're currently um, doing guard duty as we speak. Um, and thank you for your time, by the way, for allowing the uh to be on the podcast while being on duty um it's it's great to uh un- it's great to take time and at- actually serve for the um Am Yisrael. um now get to the point um can you tell us what exactly um happened with you on October 7th i understand that you're you um you're it's uh, it's a little crazy, but um, if you don't, if you can't get into that much details, um, you don't have to. But tell us what happened. Hey, uh, first of all, again, thank you so much for having me be here. I, I'm on the middle screen. I'll skip to the end of my story. Then the story is right now. You know, uh, you know, it's been a hundred days. Um, my unit is stationed in the West Bank, uh, more specifically around Beit Lechem. You know, we've been doing arrests, we've been doing patrols, we've been I'm on guard duty right now as we speak. Um, thank God in a place that's uh, pretty secluded, so I'm safe from everything. Um, however, I'll go to the beginning. You know, how did I, how did I get here? So on October 7th, I woke up uh, to daven at the early meeting in Jerusalem. It was some Klatora. So, you know, I wanted to have some fun, but also wanted to, you know, daven, you know, with the right Havana. So I decided to go to the early meeting, and then I planned later on going meeting hopping and, you know, visiting friends, family, whatever. I was in Jerusalem, um, and... In the middle and at the beginning of davening, the Gabai gets up and he says, by the way, there's something happening in the south. There's sirens happening in the south, he said. And just so you know, if, we're, if we get some here, so we should go to the Miklat. We'll go to the safe room. And uh, we kind of all thought, okay, fine. You know, what's going to happen? There's always stuff going on in the south. Um, but it's going to be fun. You know, maybe we'll get one. Sure enough, we're in the middle of Akafa. We're in the middle of like the third or fourth Akafa. We're dancing. We're in the... This is like, you know, maybe at like eight, eight in the morning. Um, I got no idea about the, all the craziness that's going down south. Um, the first siren goes off. Some lady hysterically runs to Schultz, says, oh my God, they're calling up all the soldiers. If your son's in the army or you're in the army, go check your phone. So we're like, all right, lady, like, it's fine. It's a, it's a, it's a siren. We've all had a siren before. So we go into the mama, we go into the safe room. We start, uh, you know, we finish up the hakafa, and then we hear a second siren and the third siren, and the fourth siren, and the fifth siren. And they just, you know, it seems like every two minutes, there's just another siren, which is, so we realize, you know, something, something, something big is happening. Um, 
we immediately finished Hakafot. You know, there wasn't much singing. Uh, just did Hakafot. Uh, we did a very quick Musaf. And we were told everybody who was in active Midalim, you know, go check your phones. So I rushed home. This is around 9, 9.30 in the morning. Um, I went to my cousin's house where we were staying. I turned on my phone. And this whole time my wife's telling me, nah, it's not worth it. Like, you know, like you're, there's sirens all the time. Fair enough, I see we get called up. So immediately I start, you know, I go on the group chat of all my friends who were, we were in the army together, we were in the fear brigade. And uh, one by one, you see people are starting to go online, you know, trying to figure out rides to get to our base and here and there. Um, eventually, uh, I was, so I, I live in the Gush in Alonso, which is, you know, about a 30 minute ride from uh, Yushalayim and all my, all my army gear is there. Wow. So I was trying to find a ride to get back. It was crazy trying to get home. Eventually, one of my friends called me, said, I'm picking you up. We're going straight to Ofer. We're going straight to... Uh, uh, it's a base near Modi'in, where that's where our emergency gear was. So I literally show up to base in Chavez clothes. I, I got into the car in Chavez clothes, load my gun, get in, we go. We get to Ofer. It's craziness. You have hundreds of thousands of Kayalim, like oh my gosh, thousands and thousands of Kayalim, just walking around, uh, going to their special uh, storage unit to get their gear, to get or- further orders. So wherever they're going to go. And that's where we spend the rest of the day. Now, mind you, people left in the middle of davening. People there, you know, so we're finishing. People there are reading. Uh, are, there's Torah reading because people hadn't gotten an aliyah. People hadn't, you know, uh, done Kriyat Torah. People hadn't done Musaf. There's Musaf Minyanim going on everywhere. Then later on, there was Mincha Minyanim. And later on, there was uh, you know, Marvin Abdallah. And it was a crazy day. Um, that was my October 7th. Wow, it's crazy. Um, yeah. It sounds crazy. Now that um, ever since then, um, I'm sure. Have you been? Have you gone home at all um, since October seventh? Yeah. Yes. So thank God I've been able to get home. The first sixty days, I was home three times. Wow. Um, for mamash twenty four hours. Um, but now, since we kind of went into rhythm, we have normal Yitzhiot. I get out every every other week. Or... And um, do you have a kid yet, by the way? Uh, no, not yet. Bezat Hashem. Bezat Hashem. Yes. Um, but all these, I'm seeing all these um, soldiers of, uh, um, especially in the Goshetion, I know uh, other soldiers um, um, leaving um and it's amazing how they leave their jobs and um other places and and it's just crazy how do you have the mindset of leaving your um leaving your wife and um and just leaving leaving it and just focusing on Israel itself fighting for Israel you know, uh, it's a great question, Arya. And uh, to be fair, it's uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but, it, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You know, it's hard for her at home, but, you know, that that's the point. It's hard for her at home. You know, if we're not here, then there is no home. You know, this is this is what this is what you draft for. This is what you train for. Um, and at some point, you know, you have to put your personal needs aside. Like, uh, my school started two weeks ago without me. Wow. I'm supposed to learn my home live. And I'm missing school right now. And, you know, it's going to, like, when I do eventually get released, it's going to be, you know, challenging. And it's going to be, you know, difficult to go back to the civilian sector to, you know, go join school in the middle of the year and, you know, figure out, you know, what, what to do with, with work and this and that. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm here so I can do that, you know, so I can have the luxury of, um, you know, worrying about which school to go to, you know, what to start, mm-hmm. worrying about which job to go to, you know. Um, maybe we want to move apartments, maybe we don't, and that's, you know, if we don't have a land, then none of that's an option. God willing, um, will be, uh, um, she actually will, will come and uh, we'll be all together very soon. Oh, man, oh, man, it definitely feels like that. Yes. Um, now, we understand that um, we all know many soldiers, actually. Um, for example... Um, I'm not sure if you know Rowie Weiser, um, a good friend of mine uh, that 
I got to meet actually. Unfortunately, he was killed on October 9th. Um, he's from Efrat. And so the way I met him uh, was from actually from Shiva, uh, Parshat Zachor last year. Um, and all of a sudden, I got a call. I got a call from his, from a family member of his that he was killed on October 9th. And we're hearing so many stories that unfortunately soldiers are getting killed and um i have to what i have to say about these stories it's just heartbreaking and um fortunately that we hear these stories and what do you do you how do you feel after these heartbreaking stories of um soldiers look i think it's obviously as you say you know each one is a tragedy um but at the end of the day, you know, it's it's for it's for something. You know, we can't let their death go to waste. You know, they might not be here, but we still have to carry on their message and carry on the legacy that they left us, which is, you know, the fact that uh, um, we have a land that it's for us. It's our it's our homeland. This is the Jewish homeland, and you know, they paid the ultimate price. You know, so we so we can be here. So first of all, I have a ton of akarat to you know everybody who you know unfortunately is no longer with us in ways that I, I can't, I don't even know how to express because I don't have the words or the, or even the method of expressing that to them. But then there's also the sense of shlichut, you know, to carry on that mission and, you know, to really, you know, finish the mission until the end. So, so you know, that they didn't die in vain, that their death, you know, was, uh, it's, it's not worth it because, you know, nothing's, you know, again, there's the famous saying, you know, that you save a life, you know, you save a whole world, meaning when life gets destroyed, that's an entire world of, you know, future generations that this per if it's future generations that this person you know could have uh um uh that could have come from this person you know that could have learned from this person if they or you know the mitzvot and the and just everything that runs to the world so not to say that you know it's worth it but just to make sure that you know uh um we can try to you know keep that you know bizchutam you know i'm able to you know bring forth a family you know that uh we're able to you know continue quality style continue growing continue living and continue thriving here. Um, let me... Um, um, so, hang on. Somebody's clicking in. Okay. Um, so, What's the what message do you have for those who'd like to go into the army? Um, I'd say you know uh, the army very often is glorified. You know it's uh, it's an amazing thing, and you know you uh, you have a really cool gun, and you know you do some really cool missions, and uh, you know it's all it's all great, and it's and they tell you it's hard, but you don't actually you're like all right, it's hard, and uh, I will tell you that the army is not always very glorious at all. Yeah. Um, it's very hard, you know, both mentally and physically, you know, there are a lot of times where you ask yourself, um, why did I do this? this? Is not what I signed up for? Even now, you know, I'm in the army, you know, in the big, this is the biggest war that the Jewish people have fought. And I, I, there's not a time, there's not a day that goes by where I don't ask myself, what am I doing here? You know, I wish I could be someplace else. You know, this isn't great. That being said, it is the most meaningful decision you will make in your life. It mm -hmm. is so hard. But it's also so important because if we're the army needs every single person, every single person has a unique job that only they can bring to the table. And if you aren't there, then that means somebody else has to work harder. That means you know that the army is weaker. Um, and at the end of the day, you know if you're not there, then our enemies you know uh, have a better chance of uh, coming up and you know uh, destroying us. And if we don't have Israel, then we we really don't have anything. And, exactly. Uh, I would definitely say you know draft. Draft and draft knowing that it's not easy. Draft knowing that it's going to be hard, but no, that's for a bigger for, for a purpose that's so much bigger than yourself. Now there are kids out there who are in America trying to support our chayalim um, with different messages, and they're making uh, letters and different things. Um, do you have a address or something that we can give to our listeners um, to send letters or something? Oh, wow. Um, I don't really know. I mean, they can always send them to Yeshiva. You know, you know that address, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. So, 
Um, can I give it on air at all? Uh, sure. You know, just make sure that they uh, put, you know, my name or someone else's or my name on it. So uh, and then, you know, you can make sure that it gets out there. Yeah. So the address that we are going to be giving is one Haishiva. Um, is it street or? I think you can just leave it as Hayeshiva, but I think yeah, it's the one Hayeshiva in Israel. Um, make sure to put Sedokon on the um, on the letter, and that's the address for um, amazing letters that you can send to uh, Sedok. Um, and any gift um, you can give, or any support that you can give. Um, to Sedok's soldiers and all the Gushetzion soldiers. Um, by the way, I saw that the uh, grilling IDF has been coming to you guys, and it's amazing to see them. And I've been giving a lot of donations to them uh, to go to uh, Gushetzion. Well, thank you. We definitely get it, and we definitely are very appreciative of it makes a huge difference but Ari, if i can just add one thing that you know any uh, young listener at home could do um i think it would be you know learning more about not just eretz israel you know which is obviously you know we learn about in the tanakh and the gemara and uh is very you know much part of uh um you know our daily daily life you know whether it's in shimon esrei or benching or um any other host of things but also you know just to learn about the state of israel and Mamash, the miracle of how it became in this amazing place you know which is our which is our Moledet, it's our, it's our homeland. And, you know, to become, you know, the next generation of, you know, Tzionim, Datim. Yes. Uh, and, you know, to really, you know, bring in, bring, bring the mod- bring the past into the modern. Yes. Anyways, um, Sarok, thank you very much. Um, go f- Thanks so much for having me. Thank you very much. And Netzach, V'yachad Netzach, Bezrat Hashem, Mashiach Shekam, and we will win this war and continue to fight for Am Yisrael in the right way. And Bezrat Hashem, um, we will win and win the, uh, with great Am Yisrael. Amen. See you soon, Arya. Have day. a great day. Bye. With us right now is Asher Wolf, um, the second soldier in the interview that we have, and a surprise actually um, for today. Asher Wolf, thank you for coming on and um, and taking the time to speak with me. And welcome to the podcast. Of course, thank you, Ari, for having me. Appreciate it, dude. Um, oh my God, it. I haven't, we haven't speaking in a while. What's up? It's truly been a minute. It's truly been a minute. Uh, I'm, I'm really doing well. How about you? How are you? It's awesome. Um, so tell our listeners um, how, what, what's, um, what exactly um, happened on October 7th with you um, since you're, by the way, Asher Wolf is a newly drafted um, soldier. Um, for those who are listening, um, he got drafted in August, um, and Baruch Hashem, we've um, we've heard good story. We've heard a lot of stuff from different soldiers. But tell us um, um, a little about your October seventh story. Yeah, of course. So I was only two and a half months into training uh, when October 7th um, happened. We really had only gotten our guns about a month before and we really were just like covering the basics um, with regards to where we had in our training. Um, just for some background, I'm in Honda Sakravi, which is like combat engineering. What that means is that we our normal Kravi soldiers, like your normal average foot soldier, but we also do a bit of explosives as well. So 
what that looks like in Gaza right now is blowing up buildings, houses, um, any uh, storage house, anything that Hamas would use for um, activities against Israel. Um, anyway, so back to October 7th. Um, what happened was it was Shabbos. Um, I woke up to rumors from my friends um, about thousands of rockets that were fired into Israel. That was the first thing I heard. And I was like half awake, half asleep. Um, and I was like, whoa, what's going on? I like started to get out of bed. And something in my head went off, like right away. I immediately felt something was off, something was wrong. Um, the amount of rockets they were talking about, something like 6,000, that was like the rumor right away. And it sounded like something disproportional. You know, every year we get rockets in Israel. It's not something that's uncommon. Um, so it wasn't like, but the no, the number was just astronomical, like compared to what we normally get. So I was, I was in shock right away. Um, and something fell off. Um, and just... To preface that, the week before we had had a talk with a big general in the army, and he had told us, um, he said that during our shirut, during our army service, that we were going to have a war. That was something that he told us. He didn't like try to hide it. He didn't try to anything, and it immediately changed my mindset for that next week of training, where I was like taking everything a lot more seriously at the time. And then all of a sudden, like that morning, I wake up and I hear rockets, and something in my head like jumped to like, whoa, like may- this is maybe this is the war that this guy was talking about. And like, what are the like, what what are, what are the chances? Because just a week before, this guy was telling us that like, statistically, if you look at Israel, every couple, every seven or so years, Israel has a war. And so he said, wow. there hasn't been a war in a while. And so he said, you guys are really likely, if you look statistically at the way that wars happen in Israel, to face a war while you're in service. And he said, you should take your service super seriously, take your training really seriously, because it's not just I'm training. Your training could save your friend's life. Your training could save your life when you're out there. And so immediately that was where my head jumped because I was like, whoa, like just a week before and like something about the number, the astronomical number of rockets that are being sent in, like set off like something in my head right away where I realized like this isn't just, you know, something that happens like on the regular, but this sounds like something a bit more extreme. Um, so after that, only a couple minutes later, our Mifaked, um, our commander told us to come outside and make a chet, um, to stand in a chet formation. And he started to break the news to us. He told us that there, he gathered, like, everyone. We were all uh, around the base. There were guys still in, sh- um, like, just getting to Shachris, like, in the morning. There were a couple guys at Shul still. And they pulled everyone together for the Schet, and they said um, to give us an, an update on what was happening. Um, they started breaking the news. He said at the time, like, details were really unclear. So he said that what it sounds like is that um, a couple of, uh, terrorists have broken into some of the Yishuvim, these like small, like I guess villages that are close to the border in the south. Um, that there were tons of rockets sent, and that was pretty much all we knew at the time. Um, it was really scary because my commander um, lives in the south, and his whole family lives there as well, and they were home like during uh, what was going on. And so he had he tried to get in touch with his family, and he couldn't. His family wasn't picking up the phone. Um, and we didn't really know. We understood, like, rumors were going around that maybe the terrorists were going into houses and killing people, but we had no idea. And so he was in, um, he was, like, barely holding himself together as he was talking to us, um, just trying to get in touch with his family. And he obviously felt very helpless because there's nothing he could actually do because he was on base with us, you know. And I'm sure his, ha- his head was going to places, like, if I was there, you know, like, he has been in the military for a while and he, you know, is trained and, you know, he feels like he could be doing more, but he was, he's just stuck. He was helpless, like here on base. Um, wow. So that, those were the rumors going, going around. And he said, like our commander said, like, it sounds like it's, it's a war. Like that, those were the words he used. Um, so those speculations that I had or that like bell that was going off in my head, like got confirmed, like right then and there, um, that it was going to be like a war. Um, what happened after that was they told us to make a chetziud, which means bring out all of our gear that we have. Um, and make it into a chet formation as well to make sure that we have everything that we would potentially need um, if we get called up. And now that sounds crazy because we'd only been in training for two months, but because we didn't know the scale of things at the time, they didn't know how many soldiers they would need um, to call up. They didn't know how many terrorists had broken into Israel. They didn't know the extent of things. And so if it meant that even we were going to be called up, then we were like, then we were going to be ready if that was the case. So we brought out all our tziyud. We made sure we had everything. 
Um, and we were looking at our gear that we had, right, our field. And it was like this pathetic gear because when you're in training, they don't give you the nicer gear yet because there's no point. It will get ruined. You're in training. You're rolling around. You're using it. And you're not operational with that gear. So there's no point in having the better gear yet. So we're looking at our like pathetic gear. And we're like, oh, God, like this is what we're going into, you know, to fight with. Like, you know, a lot of it, it was pretty nerve wracking. Another thing that I noticed right away when the chet was called um, was how different kids reacted to the chet. We had. Um, I had one friend who was extremely calm, helping everyone make sure that they have their gear. And there was another kid in the chet um, who was with me who was kind of freaking out. He was like, what's going on? Uh, what's happening? Give me more details. I'm kind of screaming and panicking that, you know, different people weren't lining up correctly inside of the formation that we were making. And he was panicking. And that was immediately something that I took notice to because I thought if we actually do get called up, if they actually do need us, um, then you want to be with the guy who can stay calm when crazy things exactly. are going to those are the guys that you want to stay with. So I was like taking a mental note in my head of which guys are staying calm and which guys are not. Um, anyway, so after we made these uh, the formation, we made sure we had all our gear. Um, they said that for now, they'll update us if we get called, if anything happens. They told us to make something called a Tadal Shivimashtayim. A Tadal Shivimashtayim is a bag for 72 hours. Of all the things that you would need for 72 hours, if you got called up to go anywhere. Um, in the army, you have a bag that's ready with your gear for 72 hours. What's in there? A toothbrush, toothpaste, maybe another set of clothes, some underwear, some socks. Um, just like your basic essentials for 72 hours. They told us to make one of those as well. And then they said, as of right now, there's nothing more that we can tell you or nothing more that we can do. Um, if something changes, if you guys get called up, if anything, then we'll let you know. You guys are free for now. You can walk around base and enjoy the rest of your Shabbos. Um, but like, you know, just go back to normal and be alert, be aware of what's going on. We might call you back again to speak to you guys and give you an update on what's happening. So after that, we went back into show on base. Um, and like the vibe obviously completely changed. Simchas Torah morning, you're coming from like, it was just like a conflict. Like it was a, it was a paradox because Simchas Torah is one of the happiest, you know, holidays. And at the same time, like you know that, uh, potentially people are being killed and that you're about to go into war. Um, and you start like, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, another thing that happened was I had a lot of friends who were in advanced training and I knew that the chances of them getting called up were a lot higher. So um, really like started looking around at them and they all got like, they were with us in Shul for when we returned to Shul. And we started asking them like, what are they telling you guys? Like, you know, sharing, like uh, comparing stories. And they said that for them, that they're going. Like they said, there's a bus and we're taking you guys. So we're like, so I like said goodbye to a lot of my friends there. I'm not sure what's going to happen with them. Not sure. Again, the scale, everything was like, we didn't know anything at the time. Like we didn't know the scale of things. We didn't understand what was actually happening. Um, and the feel completely changed that morning. Like it was a lot of like, you know, just like keep my friends safe. Keep me safe, safe if I get called up. Like, really, just, like, um, and it was right after, obviously, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, where you ask, like, you know, you, you say, like, the sukkim of, like, or the tefillah, sorry, of who will live and who will die and whatever, and, like, those lines are so fresh in your head, and that's kind of, like, your head goes there, because it's a war, and you don't know what's going to happen. Um, so, again, a lot of fear, a lot of unknown. Um, that's kind of how I would, like, if you had to give me, uh, if you asked me to make a headline for the day, like, of how I felt or like one emotion like to describe today was just a lot of un like angst and unknown uh, unknown yeah that sounds insane um, yeah. um and it's, a, it's basically a hundred days and um have you recently gone home at, at all so uh good question at the beginning um of the war they used us for um we were taken to help out with funerals for soldiers who were killed on october 7th um and we were meant to get out uh just a while like in the army the way that it works is that there's a schedule let's say every two you know every two weeks or every three weeks you're supposed to get out um they told us that our schedule with regards to um getting out and going home for shabbatim or for the weekends was at the time, um, like directly after October 7th, canceled as of now, um, that were needed on base. However, we could help out if that was preparing um, 
the Nemerot, which are like the vehicles that Handasa uses. My unit uses, um, you know, helping prepare them. If it could be helping out in um, even the kitchen, potentially helping out with these funerals, wherever we were needed. I said, you are needed right now because there's um, all of this, you know, most of Handasa, most of our unit is going to Gaza. You guys weren't, aren't well trained enough yet, right? You guys are only two months into training at the time. Um, two and a half months into training. So we're going to, we need you guys to, you know, help protect the base, help however we could help. So they said, you guys aren't allowed to go home as of now. So after the war broke out, we stayed on base for almost two months straight. Wow. Uh, longest we ever closed. Yeah, it was a tough, there's <laughs> a lot of ups and downs. It was, it was really crazy. Um, we, there were a lot of rumors going on about if we were going to have a shortened training so that we could get out there and help uh, quicker. Um, again, like it's just a lot of unknown uncertainty during those 42 days. And it was just very difficult because this crazy event happened and then we just didn't go. We were just on base. We we're in our little bubble and we didn't realize what was happening um, with the rest of society. When I got back, I remember after the 42 days that I was on base, um, you, you went out and you saw posters of, I also don't have social media, so I really was like disconnected. Um, but like posters of the Khatufim, of the kidnapped people, um, everywhere. And you saw that when I came home, like all of the talk at the Shabbos table was about, um, obviously the war and everything. And I just felt like actually being part of society. And when I came home, I felt like I was more involved and more aware of what was happening than when I was on base, because on base every day you're focused on and you're you're involved in your training and you're with your friends at the end of the day and you don't really think or you're not really comprehending what's going on and I come back home and I realize that a lot of my friends uh, who are my age are in Gaza right now and that didn't really hit me until I came home and they're not around to hang out with on Shabbos and it's like whoa like this is actually happening and like I've just been in this little bubble like disconnected from everything um, which was really crazy and also because in that first week right when the first week of October 7th I was really connected because we were doing those funerals and I was like realizing like how um, the extent of what had happened, how many families were destroyed and how many heroes like gave their life so that I could, you know, so that I could be safe and so my family could be safe. And then like, you're really, really feeling it, and then boom, like then it was like another month and a half, like and a bit of just training, training, training. And so we really almost didn't really have time to process that first week. And then the next thing, you know, you're out and you're like, whoa, like, yeah, this is happening again. So it was like really felt it really felt connected to um, what was happening and then there was like that stretch of not feeling connected and then going out um, on Shabbos like right that after 42 days made me feel connected again to what was happening again in Israel um, a bit more which is really crazy because you'd think in the army um, that you would be the most connected and the most aware of what's going on and it really can sometimes be almost a bubble um, where you're so focused on your training and you're with your friends and just getting through the next day of training and um, getting to the point where you're ready to go in and help out that you don't really realize like what's happening in actuality um, with, with the society and, and everyone else. It's crazy. Um, now that regards to the funerals um, and we both know many people who unfortunately were lost. Um, how do you take it, take the emotion um, and let it set into you and not like be, um, emotional for a while and just be like, continue your day on. Yeah. Um, it was really difficult at the beginning. Um, especially after, you know, doing that week of funerals where we're doing up to three funerals a day. Um, wow you know, carrying the, our own, the, the casket of, you know, some of the soldiers who were killed, um, whatever it could be, whatever, however they, it was normally we were very, very close um, to the families themselves, uh, really right there. Um, and you almost feel like an imposter there because you're like, who am I? Like, why am I standing here? Like, what do I, what is my shaykhus? How am I, what do I have in common with this family? Like, I didn't, I never met your, your son or your daughter who was killed. And I, I don't know your family. And, here I am like right here at the front of, and it just felt like, what am I doing here? And it was, it was really, is crazy. Um, and then you just also, because you're going through so many funerals, you want to listen to every story of 
every single one of these heroes who were killed and died protecting you. But at the same time, if you listen to every story, then it's emotionally overwhelming. Like you, you're, you can't take it. Like I would, I wouldn't be able to function or keep going. And so it was trying to, to find a balance of trying to listen to every story and really appreciate what these soldiers have sacrificed. And at the same time, protecting myself and not being too emotionally involved. Um, because if I did get over emotionally involved in some of the funerals, then I don't think I would be able to, to function or handle um, what was happening. And then with regards to processing, I don't think that I've had the time yet to process. I think that after this is all over, maybe I'll really realize what's happened. But I don't think I have the luxury to do that right now because I need to continue with my training. Me and my friends are going into Gaza in just a bit under two months. Um, wow. and potentially even sooner and so my oh mission right now what i need to do is i need to focus on my training i need to be the best soldier i can be and if i spend too much time you know getting depressed or, or really giving uh you know or like just you know sitting in my emotions and 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 whatever and um not whatever but sorry but um really you know i guess getting like very heavily emotionally involved and i think that i would have a hard time um functioning and and, and training and being again like when we're training you need to have a positive attitude because you need to you need to push through the next thing and you need to if you think i can't do it or i'm not I don't have the emotional strength right now or the right. Then you can't push through the next hard uh, thing that you have in training. And so you need to keep up that positive attitude because you also have your friends who are having a hard time and you want to pick them up and you want to help them with their training. Um, you want to be, you want to, you want to keep the best attitude possible, right? You don't want to go into Gaza depressed. You don't want to go like, that's not a good attitude, right? You want to go in with the best attitude, with the most confidence, with the most, um, you know, with the, the best spirits, right? So at the end of the day, I don't think I've properly processed um, the funerals, but I think that when this is all over, I think I'll sit down and properly process them. Um, but I can say that I do feel that I've taken something. I tried to, I really did try to take these stories um, that I heard about these soldiers and try to take something from each one with me. Um, or maybe take on and i think it also the big thing was that we did um another round of funerals later on um in the war for older uh for miluim for reserved soldiers reserve soldiers um who had families and who had kids and wives um and uh those were really difficult and it really made me realize how uh important my training is because i realized that as a younger guy who's in training right now um that if I go in, that means that one more person who has a wife and a family and kids who's older and who hasn't been in training for maybe the past 10, 15 years, right, who's in reserves um, and maybe isn't as in shape as me, gets to go out and gets to go home to his family and kids. And that makes me, you know, and I know that I'm better equipped and younger and have less to lose. That makes my training more meaningful. And that makes me going into Gaza something that I can, you know, <laughs> as scary as it is and as, and as you know as nervous as i might be about it it makes me feel more calm because i know that that person's back home with their family um yeah. just like something that i remember was i went home for shabbos one time and our gear that we have on base isn't the best and my dad said that he could um he had a friend on the issue who was in um miluim who was in the reserves and he said that he had a helmet for me that i could have so we went moti shabbos to he went over to his house um, to get this helmet for me. And I walked into this house and I'm expecting like a young guy who um, is in the military and has a couple extra helmets. But I walk in and he's there with his wife and he has two little kids. One's, he has a baby daughter. Um, and they're eating dinner together. And I was like, and we're like talking and just chatting about the helmets and everything. Um, and you just realize that like the people that are, majority of the people that are fighting this war are in reserves and like have like a family and kids and it's just crazy that they're going out and like it's just it's not normal that they've left it all behind and they're fight they're putting their lives on the line and i know it's just insane it's not it's not even comprehensible and i just like left there and i was like 
destroyed. I was like, like, cause I was like, this guy's like, is missing like invaluable time with his, like, you know, with his kids who are like okay. growing up and like, he's out there like fighting and obviously your head, you know, starts thinking like, what if something happens? And you realize that like the majority of the people that are fighting are these guys with wives and kids. And like, it's just, it's very, it's a very frightening and scary reality. And it just realize, makes you realize what like these Giburim, like actual heroes and how much strength they have to go out there and fight because they're fighting for something so much bigger than just their family themselves, but for, I guess, all of our families and for all of our safety and, and also for their kids' safety and their kids' future, right? But it's, it's just so crazy. Yeah. Uh, let's speak about the positive. Um, that is, yeah. <laughs> uh, now that you, it's been a hundred days, what do you say um, that you can take the past 100 days in happy times, sad times, what do you say um, that you would share? Okay. Um, I love the question. I would say that I've seen the one strength of our nation. Um, it's just incredible. Like everywhere you look, you just realize that every single person um, in society is giving in any way that they can. Um, and you like, it doesn't have to necessarily be in the army, but just nonstop chesed, nonstop giving. It doesn't matter overseas or in Israel, like everyone just wants to help. Everyone just wants to be a part um, and just give as much as they can um, because <laughs> that's just who we are, right? And I just like, something that keeps like going off in my head is like when you look at these rallies that we have um, and it could be rallies, um, like the pro-Israel rally that happened in Washington, D.C., that was amazing, um, by the way. It was incredible. Um, and I just looked at that rally and I was like, whoa, what's going on here? What are we doing? We're davening together and we're singing together and dancing together and giving chizuk together to each other. That's what Jews do when Jews, you know, like when people try to hurt us and when we're going through hard times, we come together and we dance and we sing and we strengthen each other and we give emotional support to each other and we cry together and we hug together. But when you look at the um, pro-Palestinian protests and these pro Hamas protests it's screaming and it's anger and it's and it's hatred and it's just like you see the contrast in front of your eyes and i just think that it's like so beautiful that tool like that what how we deal with tragedy i think is a beautiful thing and that's incredible within itself another thing that i've seen within the israeli society is the way that we just they're so resilient like people here just go on with their day-to-day lives not because they have a choice but because they have to. They realize that, you know what, someone has to provide, someone has to take my kids to school and some my kids have to get an education. And so kids are still going to school. Like countries in the world, kids are still going to school and parents are still working and the, their, you know, families are still functioning and people are still going to the supermarket and moms are still making dinner and, uh, and other moms are working and every, you know, everyone's just like still going on and, and doing whatever they have to do. And the dads that are, you know, what every person is just continuing on with their lives, and you just see the resilience um, of the people in Israel who just don't let it break them, um, which is just crazy. So, yeah, just a lot of, I see, like, the resilience, I see the strength and the way that we just deal with hardships, and I think it's something that's so beautiful and no other nation has. I can also say here that in the army, like, the sense um the sense of dedication that people have to this country is also incredible like it you just i heard a statistic that when the war broke out in ukraine and russia um that putin tried to get reserves to come how many reserves around 300,000 reserves that was the number that he was aiming for and up until this point in the war like a year and a half later in the russia ukraine war he still has not gotten that many people that many reserves to come up and, and fight in his war in israel within i think like a week we had that minute number of like reserves jumping in to come and help out the country to come and um protect the country and it wasn't even a question it was just like obvious to people that you know what this is our homeland this is the only jewish homeland that we have and we want to protect it um and so just again just like another like it's just everywhere i look i'm just so inspired by who we are as a people and how we are like deal with our hardships versus um when you look around at other I guess, nations and peoples in, in the world. Now, the question is, how can people like children um, help with the IDF um, regarding sending letters or sending 
um, gifts or sending something to you guys. Is there an address that you can um, talk about? Yeah, of course. So two things that I would say are amazing. Um, one is that when those letters come in, they actually do get read. Like you might think like, well, Chayel is actually reading my letter, but I've received some of these letters um, from, there was one from this elementary school where they wrote these really cute letters. And like, oh, that's really do... Asher, that's the school that, um, that I told you about. They really do. Yeah. Yeah. They really do bring like a smile on our face, like our faces and they're amazing. Um, over Hanukkah, we had barbecues um, sponsored and DJs came and singing and like after a long day of training, like there's nothing that like rejuvenated our spirits more. So those things were amazing. But I'd say that the biggest thing um, that I think can help soldiers out right now is gear. Um, I a lot of our gear is outdated, um, and so I think that the biggest thing, you know, as nice as it is, and really it does warm our hearts when we get um, like a barbecue or or like people send beef jerky and and uh, protein bars or whatever it is. But the biggest thing I think that um, we're missing on a day to day level is our gear is outdated. And those are things that are like life-saving things. Like a better helmet could really save someone's life in Gaza. Um, or having, it's just like small things, like those, the gear is the thing that um, is is the biggest difference and the biggest factor. So um, if you see, I think fundraising for gear, I'd say that's where I'd put your money. Is there my, a website for the uh, gear in particular for your um, unit at all? Yeah, so I'm actually... This week, I was going to start opening a fundraiser for my machlaka. I'm 30 guys who we all drafted from yeshiva together. We're from guys. Um, we're serving in on the sun. In the next month and a half, we're going into Gaza. And so we want to raise money now to make sure that when we go in a month and a half, we'll um, find out what gear we're missing and then have that allocated fund that we collected and um, through donations um, to spend on the right gear that we're missing. So... I'll send you the GoFundMe, um, and if anyone wants to donate, then like Tiskil Mitzvahs, and yes, um, it'd be so so appreciated. So yeah, um, we'll be, I'll be uh, posting the uh, GoFundMe on several social media platforms um, for the uh, for those who'd like to donate. Um, it's incredible. Also, can I plug one more thing here? Yeah, um, I have a whatsapp group where i send daily updates um or sometimes now it's more weekly because of how busy we've been with our training um just on what's happening um how my training's going um chizuk, funny stories from the army um uh, i'm sure Arya can put the link to that as well and you guys are all welcome to join um and follow me on my journey um through yeah. my training and through the war and everything i um, so one message that you can send to the world, um, what, what would you say uh, uh, right now? Um, just be present in the moment with your family, with your kids, uh, with your friends, whatever it is, just really enjoy it because I think this war has made us realize that, um, not everything's a given, um, and, especially time that we have on this planet and just like really to be present in those moments uh, when you're there with your family to take them in to appreciate them uh realize how special they are it's amazing ah uh, sure i'm glad that yeah. we spoke and got so glad, man. um stay safe and we'll speak more Amen. all right man be well we'll, we'll win this work together Amen. Have a good All one. Right. Thank you for having me. You too. As we close out this podcast, very appropriate with Shai Abrams saying in the background, 
Um, first of all, whatever um, the soldiers said, some of it I didn't know and some of it I knew. Like, for example, um, certain things um, I didn't know. At first, I was like in shock um, that um, we learned different things from soldiers. And um, it's amazing. We got to speak to different um, two soldier, these two soldiers, um, spend time and speak to them. We're going to be... Godwin will speak to different soldiers. Um, if you, if anyone knows, by the way, if anyone knows soldiers, message me on uh, Facebook or even Instagram. Um, we're trying to do a daily or even a monthly interview or something like that. We're trying to get interviews with different soldiers and actually send the world a message regarding how and what happened with their life and what to take from their life. Um, And God willing, um, these soldiers are going to be protected um, with Hashem's help, with God's help. And God willing, for those who are in Gaza, what we have to say is, I'm and we will win this war together. Thank you for tuning in.